This episode is made possible by our generous patrons. Welcome to the Ink to Film Podcast, where we read the book and then see the movie. I'm James. And I'm Luke. And this week, we discuss David O. Russell's 2012 film, Silver Linings Playbook. Excelsior. So we watched Silver Linings Playbook, the film. And, is that a Stan Lee quote? Like, did he? Is that did he coin that, or is that something else? I mean, that's why it's important to me. Like, Excelsior yeah. is important to me because of Stan Lee. But I don't know if he actually coined it, or or if it was something that was just said that he kind of made famous. Yeah, because everybody was like posting that when he passed recently. Um, so right. when I saw this movie and and that was his like motto, I just immediately thought of Stan Lee. So yeah, I'm excited to get into this movie, but I wanted to go ahead and announce our next project so that if anybody wants to check it out uh, and be ready, we are going to do Dennis Johnson's Jesus's Son, which is a collection of short stories that are connected. So it's kind of a novel, kind of a collection of short stories that I absolutely adore. And uh, it's a movie that I've never seen. I know it has Jack Black in it. Um, and yeah, this is just kind of a passion project for me because it's it's just a, uh, a book that I really love and I wanted to share with James. Um, and I, I know there are people out there who know about it. It, it is probably a little bit on the uh, more obscure side, but I'm hoping people will check it out and, and, and maybe listen to us talk about it a little bit and see if it's something that seems like you'd want to read it. Um, see, if it, Maybe you did see the movie when it came out. Uh, but yeah, that's going to be our next thing. We're going to do two weeks on that. Jesus is son. Yeah, I've never, I'm so unfamiliar with it that I don't know anything about it. Uh, so I'm excited to get into it. I have started reading it since we decided to do it. Oh, you did? Um, and I'm liking it. Yeah. Cool, cool. Well, I'm excited to talk to you about that, man. Um, yeah, so you're going into that like I went into this project, which is knowing nothing, basically. Um, and that was kind of my takeaway from this movie is that like, I'm glad I didn't really know anything about this. I was able to really enjoy it um, in an interesting way. It was like a pure way of like, I just knew the story from the book. But I knew nothing about what performances I was going to get, what the direction was going to be like, because I didn't even remember. Like, I, I think I saw a trailer for this when it came out, but I didn't remember it. Robert De Niro, uh, you know, Jennifer Lawrence, Bradley Cooper, they all just killed it with their performances. I thought even Chris Tucker uh, was really funny and and was kind of stealing scenes whenever he was around. Uh, it was it was really fun. Fun movie for me. Totally agree. The re- this revisiting this. I don't know. It was really special to me because I feel like this is a movie that when I saw it, I really enjoyed and I remembered fondly. But then over time, it kind of like not soured in my mind, but didn't I didn't high, hold it in such high esteem as I did when I first saw it. Um, so revisiting it, I was just like completely uh, I've, I have a newfound appreciation for it. And like I'm, I'm right back in with uh, singing its praises. I really enjoyed it. Uh, like you said, I think that like the cast is amazing great soundtrack mm. like just like all the, the amount of money they must have spent on on the music in this movie is insane but it has a lot of heart like yeah. and i and i think i was last week i said something about how i thought that it was less about the love story but completely wrong it's very very much that love story and i think that that's like the the strongest part and i think there's a couple of reasons why i think it's stronger than the book well i was gonna say this is uh this is a movie that it's interesting because i really felt like i could see all of the mechanisms for adaptation 
like all the choices they were making because I just had that purity of, of having read the book. I think I was able to really see all the choices they made and I think understand a lot of the reasons why they made them. Um, and it is very different than the book. And, and, and it's interesting because I thought, I thought it was going to be a lot more faithful than it was just, I guess that was my impression of it. I don't know why I had that impression, but, um, yeah, it, it, Although it kept a lot of the same form, it did change a lot of pretty key scenes and key character things. And yeah, it was it was a different experience. I enjoyed the book quite a bit. Um, I, I you know, but it was very different than this movie. There's like a certain life to this film. I I really enjoyed. Like it's very believable, and it felt like we were just dropped into this story with these with these like real people. One of the major things for me is I feel like we get like like a small shift at one point in the movie where it kind of becomes about Tiffany's story as well yeah. like it's it's and and i think that that's like a really strong choice to make this more of a full feeling story yeah i agree cuz we talked about that in the book uh where we were only really getting you know pat's perspective on everything and I, we wondered what would it have been like if we had gotten to see from Tiffany's point of view and we definitely get that here i i i feel like the film you know, moves perspectives as much as a camera can. And we are we are more f- viewing Pat from Tiffany's point of view rather than the book where it's all like Pat's own view of himself. It's a slightly shifted perspective on it, on the story, but it works. I want to talk about Pat for a second. So he, I think he's a lot, like, I think he's l- immediately more likable. Like, I think that the, the book Pat was likable, but there's something about... And maybe it's just like how charming Bradley Cooper is. But he like I was immediately on board. And like when in that first scene, you see like kind of his situation and what he's going through. And then it's not I mean, it's the very beginning of the movie. So it's like he's he's being released and uh, he's with a friend. And and there's like this what I'm trying to say is this first scene really sets the tone for the film, because although we want to pull for this guy, we feel like this building storm and we feel like this tension that like just having him basically break his friend out is is kind of showing like what kind of a character he's going to be throughout like unpredictable i think that that first scene was like really stellar and and setting everything up yeah and it had chris tucker in it who once again i i really loved his performance in this movie it it was funny how he kept doing that (laughs) kept getting getting free but before we get too far along into it i want to make sure we stop for a second and give a big shout out to Stephen e who is our jukebox hero patreon supporter who basically commissioned this podcast Uh, he spent his tokens towards it and and we're doing two weeks now. We did last week and this week on it. Thank him for for introducing us to it and introducing me to it. Because like I said, this isn't something that was really on my radar. But yeah, it's if you wanted to find out like how he went about doing this and how you know you could be able to get us to do a project of your choosing, uh, yeah, check out our Patreon.com forward slash Ink to Film, and you can see all our different tiers and see how how it was done. Thank you again to Stephen. It it's really cool. It's it's been really fun. Like honestly, like I said, it was it's a it's a new re- it's like a new feeling that I have after this revisit. So I do appreciate this this chance to go back. So it changed your perspective on it. It definitely has. Like I yeah. think that maybe I was just in a different headspace and and like although I love the performances and I love the direction in this film the first time, something about it like I, like I said as as time went on, I didn't revere it as much as I did when it mm-hmm. first came out. And now I'm like like I said right back in. I I really liked it. Yeah, and, and I just want to, I mean, like, I know Robert De Niro is a great actor, and, like, honestly, in this role, he, I mean, he's he's not the main focus of this movie, but I thought he killed it as the dad, and, and, and I love, they did a lot of little changes to the character to, of the father, yep. and, and a lot of them I really enjoyed. 
Yeah, and we talked about in the book episode how he just seemed like irredeemable almost yeah. at points. And he still he still does some messed up stuff in this movie, you know. Um, he's not completely without reproach. But I think that you can relate to him a little more. Oh, absolutely. They made him a lot more relatable. They made they made him more likable, and 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 you kind of root for him. And and yeah, he, there's a few moments where he where he got me with his performances too. So we can talk about them as they come. While we're talking about cast, I think I think everyone killed it yeah bradley cooper clearly is pat i think he kind of like i set the tone like i think that him and jennifer lawrence yeah really really hold this film up and and speaking of jennifer lawrence like this was kind of the first time i'd seen her in hunger games and x-men first class but this was when i was like oh she's like she's legit like she's gonna be a massive movie star and she's got a lot of talent this yeah. was the the turning point for me and then she would go on to work with david o russell who directed this on American Hustle, which got just as much critical acclaim and, and like, you know, she and the rest is history. She's she's one of the biggest movie stars in the world. Yeah, no, I agree. And she absolutely killed it as as Tiffany. We we talked about the character and how there was a few things kind of tropey about her in the, in the book, but it felt like they just kind of got wiped away for the movie. Like, I didn't feel any of that. And I think it's really it's just that we we were closer to her in the movie and we understood her story more and they tweaked a few things here or there to to change it to where yeah I just I didn't have the same problems with the character that I had and it wasn't like huge problems but I had some slight quibbles over the character in the book and I just they went away so another another fantastic actor in this movie was Jackie Weaver who played uh Pat's mother mm. Dolores and I thought she did a great job too and she had this interesting role in this whereas the their relationship wasn't as strained as it was in the book Yeah I think the mother in the book would was like crying a lot more and and I think what how I felt about the family dynamic is that like she was kind of holding the family together Yeah whereas in the other one it was like she was like holding on like trying to right. hang in there for the family yeah, I, I can see that. Chris Tucker, let's talk about as Danny, right? That's the character. Um, yes, Danny. Yeah, him. He was he was hilarious. Like I said earlier, he stole scenes. Definitely a few moments where I mean, I don't want to. I mean, we're not getting into the plot yet, but but yeah, he was he was very funny and and very good. And and uh, I don't know what else to say about him. <laughs> yeah, he. I mean, it's just like a different kind of role for him. Uh, I mean, he's had some serious roles, but the, I think of Chris Tucker from like Rush Hour or like. Um, fifth element yeah that's honestly those are my two touchstones for him as well massive like like over the top roles and this was like he was obviously he was funny and he was like like kind of the biggest personality in the room sometimes but he was like much more subdued and it was a great performance yeah uh i do want to say cliff was a character that i i think cliff in the book was more interesting and I was a little bit more on board with him in the book. Um, in the movie, while I still like the performance okay, and I think they got sort of the essence of the character, um, I just didn't connect with him as strongly, and I didn't. I I felt like he was less helpful to Pat. That's. What, uh, do you feel like he had less to do though? Maybe they like cut some of his stuff. He had less so to do, why. but then also he just felt like he wasn't as clever with his. I don't know. Like it seemed to me like he was a little bit just <laughs> slightly more unprofessional um, rather than it being because in the book it felt like it was kind of calculated at times, even though it ended up being right. authentic. It was like he was using his love for the Eagles to really connect with Pat and he was using their the the love of the game to help bring him together with his family and all this stuff. Whereas in the in the in the movie, it was just kind of like he. Oh, yeah. He also happens to be an Eagles fan. Isn't that funny? Yeah. So that's that's. Anupam 
Kerr, I believe his name is. He, I, I think he did a pretty good job with the performance personally. I, I, it's not the performance that I had an issue with. It was just like he, I felt like he didn't have a ton to do. Yeah, it's more the character as, as written, and they, they reduced his role and changed the character a little bit, but which, which is fine. You know, that has to happen if you're gonna, if you're gonna elevate. Like, say, Danny had more to do in the movie. It was better for it because I think he was very interesting in the movie, and it, and it made his role in the story make more sense than it did in the book. Um, so. Yeah, I mean, it was just little tweaks here and there. And, and like I said, I, I had this moment where I was like really feeling this adaptation. I was like, I can really see what they did and why they did it. So uh, just three more people that I wanted to shout out. John Ortiz plays Ronnie. And I think that there, some of those scenes where he was talking about the stuff he was going through, was was he was also cracking me up and, and he did a great job. Yeah. And then uh, his wife was Julia Stiles, played Veronica, yeah. who also did a really good job. And man, they re- Julia Stiles and Jennifer Lawrence really were convincing that they could be sisters. Uh, in this movie, yeah. I was I was amazed yeah, no. when they were sitting at the table together, and I was like looking at their faces. I'm like, they do kind of look like they could be related. I didn't even think about that, but yeah, like in terms of just their looks, yeah, like, it's like something about their shape face too. It's like it seems kind of in the same wheelhouse, like you know. So the other actor I wanted to shout out was uh, Shea Wiggum. He plays Jake, Pat's brother, mm. and the first scene that we got with him, I thought that he was gonna take on the father's role from the book, kind of like an asshole and like part seemingly the antagonist for the right. story uh but it didn't turn out that way and and I I did like a lot of the scenes that he was in with with Pat and like specifically the Eagles game was was pretty fun yeah I agree and and uh he is so, so it's funny because as much as I was was saying the old Julia Stiles Jennifer Lawrence thing Robert De Niro uh I can't remember the actor's name for the brother and and Bradley Cooper I don't know how much they all look like they're in the same family. I, I don't know. Maybe, maybe that's just me, but that was one where I was like, mm. <laughs> I can kind of see the uh, Bradley Cooper, Robert De Niro. Really? I was going to say the brother well, and Robert De Niro more because they have that kind of squ- square jaw m- more. But yeah, I don't know. It's all it's it's good enough. It's fine. It's a movie. So David O. Russell, a uh, couple of things that I wanted to touch on with him were you were talking about how the film feels like it was like you could see the adaptation in it. Yeah. It's really interesting because uh, David O. Russell had this script for like five years and he was wor- reworking it. And uh, I think he's I read that he went through like 25 drafts wow. before he was really able to, to like pull out everything he wanted out of it. And I think that does show because when we get into spoilers, we'll talk about it more. But but he changed like fundamentally changed a couple things that made for I feel like a more interesting and like full story but the direction too like I think without this even with the script I think without this director you're not going to get the performances out of the actors and uh, I don't I just think this film is way different without David O. Russell and it's interesting because this is I feel like kind of a tough movie to make work um, the more I think about it because it doesn't have a lot of flashy elements and to make a movie like this like visually interesting to get the performances you want to make it appeal to people and be a movie that people are going to want to going to want to watch um i don't know it's like you almost can't rely on like oh we're going to have a big action set piece or we're going to have a really tense moment here with a you know it was it was such a it's like a simple story with a deep personal stakes and sometimes i think there's a real there's a real art to being able to make that an engaging movie well, yeah, the scenes, just to throw a couple scenes out, like the, the diner scene for me is my favorite scene of the film. And I think that is there. That's the the big moment, like the diner scene going and then leaving the diner and going in front of that theater to me was like, that's the moment for the actors to shine, for the director to shine and just like letting the actors play in that space. It just and he got like such true performances from them. But 
let's talk about David O. Russell a little bit. He is an American film director, screenwriter, and producer. His early directing career includes the comedy film Spanking the Monkey, oh. which I have not seen, right, Flirting then. with Disaster. Have you seen that? No. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah, I haven't I seen I actually that. don't know. If I, I'm going to be interested to see if I've seen any of his other movies because I don't know that I have. I think you have. So, so his other ones are Flirting with Disaster, Three Kings, and I Heart Huckabees. Okay, so Three and Kings, those... that was one I have seen, but it's been a long time and I barely remember it. I haven't seen How I Heart Huckabees, but I've heard of it. I have not seen that. Yeah, I've seen Three Kings and I Heart Huckabees, but I haven't seen the other two. But then, like, recently he's not, I guess kind of recently, he had this big, like, artistic kind of change and push into, like, the director that he is now. Um, three of his m- more recent films are the sports drama The Fighter, with Christian Bale and oh, Mark Wahlberg. Oh, shoot. Okay, I, that movie I did see and I actually really enjoyed. I did not know that this is the same director. Wow. Yep. Oh, that has a killer performance by, what is it, Amy Adams is in that? as the older, yep. Yeah, she's great in that. And then she's Bale, awesome, yeah. yeah, he has that like really transformative, like he often does. He's kind of one of those directors that like finds the artist that he likes and continues to work with them. So to, to talk about some of his other ones, Silver Linings Playbook uh, was was one and then American Hustle. Did you see American Hustle? I didn't see that one. So that one has Christian Bale, Amy Adams, and Jennifer Lawrence. Oh, wow. As well as Robert De Niro and Bradley Cooper. Man, I need to see that. That sounds like the kind of movie I'd really enjoy. So like he took everybody from The Fighter, everyone from Silver Linings Playbook and put them all together. (laughs) So uh, Silver Linings Playbook and American Hustle were, were commercially successful and acclaimed by critics, having earned Russell three Academy Awards for Best Director as well as Best Adapted Screenplay nomination for Silver Linings Playbook and a Best Original Screenplay nomination for American Hustle. Wow. Uh, the, he then went on to direct Joy in 2015, which which again had, I believe, Robert De Niro, Jennifer Lawrence, and and Bradley Cooper. So some stuff that I found in my research, many feel that David O. Russell is one of the greatest actors, directors working today. He understands like how to work with actors and how to get the performances he wants out of them while also like collaborating and, and letting them bring their own stuff to it. Mm-hmm. And I think you can definitely see that with like Christian Bale in, in The Fighter. Or like Bradley Cooper in this film, they, he really lets his actors and Jennifer Lawrence in this film as well. Just like he lets them find their character and really bring bring something different to them. So to talk about the whole his whole circle of of actors that he works with real quick again, uh, I just wanted to point out that Mark Wahlberg partnered with Russell in Three Kings, I Heart Huckabees, and The Fighter. While Jennifer Lawrence, Bradley Cooper, and Robert De Niro all appeared in Silver Linings Playbook, American Hustle, and Joy. Christian Bale and Amy Adams both appeared in The Fighter and American Hustle. Nice. And the same thing with Tarantino does that too, right? Like uh, uh, Christopher Nolan. There's a few. There's a few directors out there I can think of who do th- who often do this. Like of certain. Well, yeah, like Martin Scorsese. Are almost always yes, yeah, Scorsese. Yeah. There's so many that are like, and and I I think it's just because you get that shorthand with that actor. Yeah, it makes sense. And like you, you know? love them as a person, and and you know what kind of performances you can get from them, and and it just makes sense to be like, why wouldn't you want to work with a brilliant actor who is also kind of your friend and and can is the best in the game. Yeah. Uh you brought up Tarantino so I'll talk about it. Tarantino says that is one of the people who say that that uh David O Russell is one of the greatest working actors directors. Like he uh Tarantino said that other than himself he thinks that David O Russell is his favorite actors director. Other than himself. <laughs> that's yeah. funny. Well, it's uh, Tarantino, so. Yeah, yeah. Uh yeah, that's interesting. I mean, I, I I need to see more of his stuff clearly, um, because the two things I've seen by him now, um, I really loved, and then I guess Three Kings I have seen, but I just don't remember it. I saw it too young, I think, to appreciate it. Yeah. 
So we talked recently about um, A Star is Born and Bradley Cooper yeah. now directing and like his whole career is taking a different direction and and i think he's gonna have a lot of success with that so so we should mention we didn't cover a star is born but we did talk about it briefly at the end of an episode or something just that i was saying that i had just watched it recently and really enjoyed it Mm -hmm. um and and uh, you said you had seen it too so we we kind of mentioned that when we were getting into this project and and yeah it was really cool for me to revisit bradley cooper and see him in a very different sort of role and and see a bit of his range which i liked i've listened to interviews and read some stuff here and there about Bradley Cooper and his process for Star is Born and found out that like a lot of because he'd worked with David O. Russell on three films, he's taking a lot of what he learned from David O. Russell. And actually, Jay Cassidy is one of the editors for Silver Linings Playbook, American Hustle and Joy. And so Bradley Cooper went and grabbed Jay Cassidy to edit A Star is Born. So kind of just like keeping in with those people that he's familiar with and like he knows that he loves the editing of Jay Cassidy. So he went and got him for his first directorial debut. So that's cool, man. It's kind of cool to see his like, you know, his lineage of where he's learning and, and who he's inspired by and then carrying that through and being I mean, look how successful a star is born. It has been. Yeah. And, and great, great, great directing in that uh, great performances. I, I always am amazed that when a director is able to get a performance out of themselves. That is really remarkable. Um, that seems like that. Right. That seems almost counterintuitive. Like, how is that possible? But he 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 killed it. So I listened to a podcast that Bradley Cooper was on, and he similar to this. What was the name of it? It's uh, called the Director's Cut. It's the DGA okay. podcast. It's it's cool. I I really enjoy it. They have a director come on with talking about their most recent film, and then they have like another filmmaker like kind of interview them. It's okay. super cool. So check out that interview, but to, to kind of spoil some of it, he says that uh, he had tons of prep time for this in the same way that for, for A Star is Born in the same way that David O. Russell had a ton of prep time for, for this film. So he talked about just like his, he, he knew what he wanted. He had kind of thought of shot selection and that kind of stuff, or he definitely had planned out all of that. He knew what he wanted from the characters. He had like, I mean, they were practicing the singing and getting all the songs and everything together. Like he's been working on it for years. And he talked about how on the day to get the performance out of himself was wasn't the hard part. It was it was being in like being there with the other actor and directing. He says it wasn't the hard part to him because he didn't need to look at the monitor. He knew that his camera ops and his and everybody, his DP, everybody was going to figure out what they like. They knew what to do because they had that shorthand. They had they had talked about what he wanted so he could just stay in the scene and just kind of like vibe with whoever was in the scene with him and just like keep running lines and. And kind of just was able to get like some really great performances out of, I mean, Lady Gaga yeah. himself, uh, Sam Elliott. Yeah. It was it was really cool to hear him talk about it. Yeah. Well, we're talking Silver Linings Playbook here, so let's get back <laughs> let's get back to that movie. As much, <laughs> I, right. I mean, if you want if you wanted to see A Star Is Born, I do recommend it. Very good. Uh, check it out. But yeah, this movie. Uh, one of the things that that I don't know if you're done talking about uh, David O. Russell or not yet, but uh, with uh, Pat Pat now, so he, they changed his name. His name was Pat Peoples in the book. But it's like Pat Solitano or something in the movie, um, which I think was smart. It's people's I, we talked about in the last episode. Didn't like that name, but they changed his sort of mental state a little bit. And one of the things they did, I think, made him a lot more likable was his one of his main problems was he had no filter. And anytime you have a character in a movie with no filter, I, like that character's always hilarious and always uh, you always root for them because it's like they'll say anything to anybody. They, it's kind of like wish fulfillment, I think, because we all wish we could do that sometimes. Mm-hmm. And and that's how he is. Like he just says things to people. 
he just like cuts through all the bullshit and just like doesn't keep secrets. We see it early on with his mom tells him something about the father, you know, losing his job, and he just immediately tells him, and it, like, right. it's yeah, it's good. And then his his entire thing with Tiffany, where he's just like constantly mentioning her dead husband, even though that's like the kind of subject you should never broach with somebody. It's it, it breaks norms, right, in, a, in an entertaining way. And I think, like you said, it, it endears that character to us right away, and it also shows like a level of honesty, right? Like they're not, he's not hiding anything from the audience, so we don't need to think that he's shady or like yeah. think that he has any ill will towards these people. We understand his character and we see that it's just him being like just so bluntly like honest and being himself while at the same time you know like upsetting other people by doing it but it is it does tend to be funny in this movie yeah and i last episode i compared him to patrick bateman in a certain ways i said he was very different in a lot of ways but there were certain similarities um i don't think that is really the case for the movie version of this character that we get Uh, i honestly didn't make that connection at all so i think that was a book specific thing for me um and, and part of it's just not being in his head whereas like even american psycho the film is very close to Bateman's perspective. Where like we're in Bateman's mm-hmm. head, we get his voiceover a lot. Uh, in this movie, it didn't feel that way. It felt like they they drew back and they showed it more as a whole. We see Pat from the exterior a lot more um, through other characters' eyes, basically. Yeah, we get like conversations between the parents where he's not present, stuff like that. Yeah, and that allowed for Tiffany to have her own kind of like story and agency yeah. and things that she was doing and wanting. But yeah, I think this is the perfect time to jump into the plot. Yeah. Let's, I'm gonna, I'm, gonna, I think I have it in three chunks here, four chunks here. Okay. So I'm just gonna read some plot, and then we'll talk about what happened in there. Pat Solitano, who has bipolar disorder, is released from a mental health facility into the care of his parents after eight months of treatment. His father, Pat Senior, is out of work and and resorting to bookmaking to earn money to start a restaurant. Pat is determined to get his life back on track and reconcile with his wife, whom he has separated from, Nikki who obtained a restraining order against him after the violent episode that sent him away. While talking to Dr. Patel, his therapist, he tells him about coming home early from his high school teaching job and finding Nikki in the shower having sex with another teacher, as Pat and Nikki's wedding song played on their stereo. Enraged, he nearly beat the man to death. At dinner with his friend Ronnie, he meets Tiffany Maxwell, a young widow and and recovering sex addict who also just lost her job. Pat and Tiffany develop an odd friendship through their shared neurosis, and he sees an opportunity to communicate with Nikki through her. Pat asks Tiffany to go to dinner, and they share Raisin Bran. Okay, yeah, I covered a lot of ground there. Uh, so I want to back up and talk about some of those changes, right? Uh, we see uh, eight months in the facility instead of, what was it, four or five years or something like that? Like, it was a lot longer right. in the book. Um, there was a lot, huge amount. Well, that was like a big disturbing t- plot twist type moment for us. And, and everyone was lying about it, that how long you'd been in there. Um, we got a big change in the Nikki. The way Nikki plays a role in the story was, was changed pretty fundamentally because from the get go, we are told we are given the big reveal pretty early on um, about what happened and why he got why, how he injured his head and how the basically the fact that she's real <laughs> and and all that there's a lot of that in the book where it was mysterious about like is Nikki even a real person is he, is she a figment of his imagination is she actually dead i had all these questions all of those are gone uh you know the director decided not to go that route um so i think that was smart because i think those sort of mysteries for this story played better in the book than they probably would have on screen also, the the importance of the song 
was still present, but it was it was dialed back a little bit. Uh, we didn't get Mr. G standing over him in the it night. It was a different song. Yeah. <laughs> it was a different song. It wasn't Kenny G. I don't know. Yeah, and, and it was interesting. And then like Nikki, you know, what she did was pretty despicable, and obviously, and and she's set up in a way that we definitely are meant to hate her. And I think that's true in the book too. But uh, you know, as we go forward, we'll see. They 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 changed her role in it a little bit too. Uh, you know, at the end, so. Uh, yeah, I, I I don't know. What was your thoughts on, on all those changes, and 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 why do you think maybe he he made those choices? I mean, I, I, first off, I think that they were solid choices because, like you said, I think in the book it felt like they were there for the sake of like this is a plot twist that's going to happen that's going to shock our main character. This is this is the thing that he's like that he's so uh, obsessed with Nikki and and in this he is so obsessed with Nikki but in in like a it just feels like a totally different way like he, he I guess the, the the obsession feels the same but like the way that it's doled out to the audience like you said like the her being potentially fake and, and like you well you thought that at least and then and then having her writing the letters like I don't think there was a, a moment in the movie where I thought that she that Tiffany wasn't writing the letters. Oh yeah, yeah, like I kind of always figured that that was was another thing they didn't they didn't conceal. Like from the get go, you knew it was Tiffany. And I think that that and like the the decision to have less like not have like multiple letters and have it be stretched over like a longer period of time, kind of makes it like more believable to me because like writing multiple letters and and like it just seems like a lot of effort and it just feels more natural to have like one letter and then have that kind of be the thing where he figures it out. Yeah, we're we're getting way ahead of it though. So let me jump back to kind of some of the stuff that goes on here. Oh, real quick. So so one of the one of the changes as you're talking, I kind of crystallized in my mind. So Nikki in the book, the one of the major driving forces for Pat is not only trying to get back with her, but he has this sort of alternate goal that maybe he isn't even fully aware of, but we are aware of, and that's learning the truth about what happened. What happened between him and Nikki? Because he doesn't remember. Um, right, and yeah. that is completely absent in the movie. In the movie, he un- totally knows what happens. He just wants to reconcile. And we see that as delusional. But uh, that's a that's a fundamental change in the character. And and uh, I don't know. I just think it plays it plays well for the movie. Me too. Because uh, like you said, the, the way that it's like a mystery of w- what actually happened when we know what it was right off the bat, we were more sympathetic towards Pat because like in the book, we didn't know. I mean, we're uh, clearly he shouldn't have beat the hell out of this guy and like it wasn't the right way to handle it. But like he, what Nikki did wasn't like like you can understand how he got to that point because people do that in stories. That reminds me and, of another and, big change. Uh, he has pre-existing undiagnosed bipolar or something like that we hear. Um, mm-hmm. So he had a lot of his issues leading up to the big incident. Um, whereas in the book, it was my understanding that everything was caused by his injury. So, um, you know, at least it's unclear. So that was a big change right. too. Yeah. It was more like she was, un- she, her infidelity seems like, like she was rejecting his sort of, um, abnormal mental state. Right. Like it was a rejection right. of him as a person. And, uh, mm-hmm. 
so that changes that whole dynamic too you know um so it's interesting it's it's, it's like if it sounds almost like we're talking about little things but these are actually pretty huge the the story feels like it's the same story but at every turn it, it's it's like ostensibly different. the like, same like, story when you look at all the parts they're all there and they all do similar things but it they fit together differently no totally and i think like i said i think that maybe it's just that time that that david o russell had to stew over this and like really think about exactly how it, what he wanted characters to be motivated by and and how he wanted everything to turn out. I think he does a great job of making one characters more sympathetic and two make characters more interesting. Yeah. And I think that that's that's never going to be a bad thing for a film because it's it's just like people latch onto that. Right. So before we get more plot, I got to talk about a couple of things. Okay. The, the first thing I wanted to talk about was when he was at the dinner and he first met Tiffany, they were touring the house and like they had like iPod player things in all the cor- <laughs> in all the areas. And I had to mention this because I know you're such a big Metallica guy. Yeah. But he was like, he was like, can you uh, can you play Ride the Lightning, can you ride by, Metallica? The Lightning by Metallica on there? <laughs> <laughs> so funny. And they got a second shout out later uh, when he talks about how he, he goes into his his basement and plays Metallica and like breaks things in Megadeth. Yeah. And he's like, well, oh, <laughs> that character is so funny. I love yeah, that. Yeah, man, that, that definitely cracked me up. I made a note of that one, too. Uh, very funny. Definitely made me like like uh, Pat even more. And then I, I did want to talk about also just some of the direction that I was noticing in this film. I wanted to talk like specifically about form. There's a lot of really, really uncomfortably close up shots of Pat and Tiffany. And I think that's a way like a director's choice to make to really like force you to deal with their problems with them as well as feeling like really close to them. Um, like there's the scene when he walks into the when he walks into the therapist for the first time and he's signing in and the song is playing. We're just in his face like the whole way till he starts to sign in. And then we hear that song playing and we, we're starting to realize it. I guess we don't necessarily know at that point, but we're starting to realize something is going on. And then he freaks out and like pulls the magazine thing down. And then another another time is when they're when they're at the diner. Everything is very, very shallow focused. We basically just have like their eyes and like part of their head in focus and everything else in the background is not in focus. And it's kind of just conveying this idea that like they're alone on this island having this conversation about you know, uh, her sexual escapades, like everything that she was doing after, uh, is escapades the right word? I feel like that's a weird word to say there. Her sexual, her sexual uh, escapades, journey yeah. that she went through where she had sex with like a lot of people. Yeah, which was which was also infused with, with humor. Uh, as So uh, I, I was watching with my wife and she laughed about it. Um, you know, with the whole like, didn't, did, you know, was there a woman in there? And then like the way she kind of went into detail and he was obviously getting excited. Um, it was funny. Right. Um, and, and, but it was also like, we could see him struggling with himself. I don't know. That was the thing. Like, Mm -hmm. I I think I saw more of him, like his actual genuine attraction for her shining through. Whereas in the book, it felt like he was in complete denial about it. Exactly. Yeah. And I think that helped their story because it's like, clearly he is like struggling with his feelings for her while also still pining after his wife who he wants to get back is like, I think much more interesting than him just like completely rejecting and then out of nowhere at the end they just get together yeah you know what i mean yeah in the book. well in it, although it's different too because it's like it's not even really that because like the love story part of it is really played down in the book yeah it's like uh it's more like they just say like i need you at the end and, and, and it almost feels more platonic even though there is the implication that there is a romance there too um mm-hmm. but so real quick just talking about what you what you were made me kind of go down a rabbit hole in my mind a little bit with the directing because just directing in general and this is something that always seems like magic to me. And it seems like this is where, you know, on a base level where directors can really shine. And that's how they have to make decisions about when to show an actor's face on a huge close up, when to pull back, mm-hmm. when to show, when to show like the whole scene. And then 
when to show the person who is speaking and and uh and also when the person or versus the person who is who is being spoken to and like showing their reaction mm-hmm. and exactly, and how yeah. much of it to play and like I don't know. I feel like there's a real magic to that, and that's where like uh, people's people's eye for this can really shine. Um, mm-hmm. And and it seems like uh, to me, I, I I would it would it would be a tough decision to make because I would just feel like I was doing them willy nilly. But I know it's like they really have a reason to do everything they're doing. Yeah. So you're touching all around the point that I was going to make with this with the shallow depth of field. So I t- I agree with what you're saying. I think that like you you have to assume that every shot was selected for a reason to evoke a certain emotion to the audience. So what I thought was amazing about this scene is we're we're dealing with really really shallow focus and they're on this island, and then the thing that happens right after that is is Tiffany realizes how Pat actually feels about her, and he realizes that he just thinks that she's so crazy. And that's when yeah. she explodes and throws everything off the table. And then we get wide shots of everybody in the everybody. It's that small that small conversation that was with them on the island then turns into the entire room. Yeah. And people are shouting and the waitress on his way out of the thing. The waitress says, like, hang on. So it's like it just turns into like this whole larger scene from this really small, intimate moment. And and I think that's amazing because like then we flow into like downtown Philadelphia like i'm assuming where it's like there's tons of people who are out for halloween and then they're in front of the they're in front of the theater and she's she starts screaming about how he's harassing her and i think that that entire sequence there is just like a like a master class in, in terms of like conveying certain emotions and and once he starts hearing the song we get like this fisheye lens where like everything seems like distorted and he just we're getting like kind of like his first person perspective on on like the cop running up and and it's just very interesting to to see like the choices that were made so, there. I feel like there was some there was some of those what are they Dutch angles in there for those that moment. Oh, I'm sure, yeah, yeah. So it, so it's interesting because I'm thinking symbolically, um, there is something to to her sort of she chooses to bring in everyone else in both of those scenes, and they all judge him harshly. Um, mm-hmm. and I think it's interesting, right? Like it's like it's a very personal thing between the two of them, but then. Um, is sort of using it as like a device. She brings in the greater society and how people view, uh, you know, uh, people with with conditions d- differently, and people are afraid of him and and all that sort of thing. Like I, I don't know. It's interesting, like symbolically, that she does that because then it's also like she later proves that she is willing to use use his condition against him too and, and manipulate him in that way uh yeah and then and then it also reflects uh the other thought i had was that it also reflects sort of a real life feeling that you can have like you go to a restaurant with people like you feel that way like you feel like it's just you at the table like you don't think about the greater restaurant and it does feel very until personal. somebody makes a scene until somebody makes a scene and then all of a sudden it's like oh this is a very public place yeah so exactly it, it works on multiple levels yeah so we need to jump into some more plot here. Tiffany offers to deliver a letter to Nikki. If in return, Pat will be her partner in an upcoming dance competition. He reluctantly agrees, and the two begin a rigorous practice reg- regime over the n- following weeks. Pat believes the competition will be a good way to show Nikki he has changed and become a better man. Tiffany gives Pat a typed reply from Nikki in which she cautiously hints there may be a chance of a reconciliation between them. So with this, I really wanted to talk talk about something that we felt... Well, you specifically mentioned in the book, and I agreed with you, the the dancing in the book felt kind of out of, it, it just felt like it was serving a weird purpose. Like we didn't really understand what it was there for. And I want to ask how you felt about the dancing 
and how it's tied into kind of the other events in in the film well it played better in the movie and i thought it would because to me dancing is such a visual medium um there's so much you can convey with it uh for one you know i've always people always compare dancing to sex and they're like, Oh, you know, if someone's a good dancer, that means they'd be good in bed. Yeah. I don't know if you've ever heard this. I've, I've heard it a few times. Um, yeah. And, and at the very least, I think when you see two people dancing together and they have a really strong chemistry with each other and it's not, you know, some people can just do that cause they're good dancers. But um, usually that does mean there's some sort of intimacy, at least being like flirted with there. Right. And so, dancing as a vehicle for our characters to become intimate with each other without actually being like without actually being romantically intimate creates a really nice drama too because it's it forces pat to be intimate even though he is trying not to like he's trying to with you know stay back for for nikki's sake right so uh yeah it it, it creates a really cool and that worked a little bit in the book too but um i, I you know i don't want to totally take like that was obviously the reason but it also was presented in a more believable way. Like we, Pat wasn't very good at it. Um, I, there was a hilarious, the hilarious scene where uh, Danny comes in and uh, gives them a bunch of pointers and is dancing with, mm-hmm. uh, dancing with her. That was very funny. Um, and then, and then, yeah, that you know, leading all the way up to the to the big to the big finale of the of the dance and how differently that played out in the in the movie. What was your take on the dancing? So I, I enjoyed it, and I think that having it be the way... The, so them sp- obviously it's in the book as well, but them spending quality time together uh, in that way, and like you said, being in an intimate kind of like very close quarters, uh, clearly like you can see like where Pat's mind is and like how he's like struggling with the, the, the Nikki stuff still at that point. But I also like the idea that... And I think it happens similarly in the book, but the, the so the bet, that was that was like the parlay the the double or nothing that was brought in where it was like the the eagles have to win and the dancing has to go has to be like a 5.0 or whatever the that wasn't in the book right that wasn't in the book the both both things at the same time wasn't in the book no no no. it was it was it was was definitely different because uh that was the other thing i wanted to talk about was the role football plays in this movie is quite different than it does in the book in fact it was it was a lot less um Mm -hmm. it was there but it was like the book, it was, um, it it was really, really, kind of like uh, touchstone symbol for uh, Pat's mental state throughout the book, and where he was at with his life was like a mirror of where the Eagles were at in their season. Well, we kind of get that when when Tiffany says that like when the Eagles are playing well, Pat has been with me. Yeah, but to, uh, to me, it felt like now I don't know, maybe that's just my own personal bias, but um, it felt to me like it was complete bullshit. Like that was all just she she had found these cor- correlations and was using them to manipulate um, Pat's father because she knew that he has his own he was sort of atypical mental states where he's like very it seems like he's OCD or something, but um, mm-hmm. but specifically about rituals to do with the game. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it was it's interesting, though, because it's like it, it's it's there, but it's shifted. Right. Like we've talked about a lot of it. Like it's it's slightly different now. You're talking about that scene real quick where she's like rattling out the stats and, and like that was cool. And I understand why it was there. But there was something about the Budweiser pop open and, and drink at the end of it. That was like a little. Do you know what I'm talking about? She like had no. just finished telling them like, 
all the stats like that she was like like you know the the Phillies won this game and and like the Eagles won this game and then at the end they're like wow I'm really impressed and all this stuff and then she like cracks a cracks a Budweiser and like is like drinking the Budweiser and she's like thank you it just felt like really over the top too to much me. I was like it made me cringe a little bit I mean I could see that but it's also like that's the the cherry on top for her winning over the dad because in that moment she completely wins over the dad and he is like a hundred percent about her now um and i think the mm-hmm. beer thing was another like because like she they don't know her at all she's a complete stranger and the beer thing is another thing like where it, she seems like even though we know it's a lie she seems like she's like super into sports and knows all this stuff and here i am crack you know drinking beer with you guys and I don't know. I think it was interesting because it was like uh, uh, this this olive branch that she was extending to the father, but then she was also manipulating him, which really yeah. I thought was cool because it cleverly mimics what she's doing to Pat. Right? She's right. she's she, quite she, a liar in this movie. She's clearly willing to manipulate people and use their problems against them in a way to control them. That's pretty dark. Um, so I was a little surprised at at how willing to forgive Pat was. Um, Because I think we see in the book him be a lot more upset and betrayed by what she does than 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 it feels like he is here. And that helps the love story, I think. Right. The love story aspect of this movie is like the forgiveness and like the being like, I always cared for you. And that being like threaded in early, like makes it more believable and also makes it more of a, uh, you know, like you're not tip, not it's not like it's that typical, but like kind of your typical romance story. There was clearly always the tension, but it was just like there's an obstacle in the way. So his feelings for her is the reason he's able to forgive because he can see through it and see that the reason maybe she was doing it um, was was that she genuinely wanted to be with him. Well, you could argue that maybe that doesn't make as much sense for the character. And that uh, someone someone like him with that sort of atypical mind uh, mind state, uh, whatever you want to call it, uh, he he probably would be more um, upset about this than he than he is in the movie. I don't know. I guess it just it's two different characters a little bit, even though it is the same. So we talked about it earlier in this episode. Um, we were talking about the therapist and like his role. There's there's a moment after. So let me let me read this this portion of synopsis real quick because we're kind of talking about it pat skips practice with tiffany to attend an eagles game for his father but is dragged into a fight and hauled away by police the eagles lose the game and pat senior is furious tiffany arrives berates pat and argues in detail the way she uh reads the signs pat senior was luckier when pat was practicing with her pat senior makes a parlay with his gambling friend that if the eagles win their game against dallas and if if pat and tiffany score at least a five out of ten in their dance competition he will win back double the money he lost on their first bet pat is reluctant to participate in the dance contest under those conditions and rereads nikki's letter after noticing that a phrase tiffany had said also appears in the letter supposedly written by nikki he realizes that nikki's letter had been forged by tiffany right okay so and the thing that i wanted to bring up was the the therapist uh so he's at the game and then after the fight the therapist comes back to the house with all the guys yeah and he's there when like when pat senior is taking the jersey off and he's all freaking out because they lost and like it's just weird that the therapist was there didn't say anything or do anything really when that's kind of his old forte and background yeah but i i guess the 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 way i kind of like rationalized it in my head was that he'd been drinking and, and like tailgating and maybe it was you know he had an altered state of mind but it was weird for him to show up there as well yeah, it was a little unusual. And yeah, I, I remember kind of expecting him to insert himself into the scene because it's like 
clearly people showing showing that they have issues <laughs> um and and i don't know maybe it was just because he wasn't actively you know being a therapist in that moment he was just another person maybe he decided to to not to not insert himself i don't know uh but yeah it was yeah, I, I guess it's it. not the best situation to insert yourself like it's not like he's going to be able to do that much yeah you know it's their house and like they're like he he's more of like after this kind of situation goes down he's there to like talk about it rather than like intervening how'd you feel about uh hank basket's jersey being switched swapped to deshaun jackson's jersey so this is a whole this is a, this has a whole different meaning to me at this point because uh -huh. like at the time I mean Deshaun Jackson you know one of the fastest receivers in the NFL right and like you know great player and then he came to Tampa and he had he's had some 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 ups and some really really lows really uh, bottoming lows uh -huh. but I think that it was cool because at the time when he was on the Eagles he was like the guy Deshaun Jackson was like the up and comer he was great talent super fast. Um, and I mean, it's, he's an exciting player. So for him to be like Deshaun Jackson is the man, like it totally makes sense. But yeah. I have this whole, all this Buccaneers baggage with I, him. Do now. you think they made that change just, just to, uh, cause the name was more, rec more recognizable maybe. I thought that it was because like with the, with the value of hindsight, they were just able to look at, find a player who would more match kind of the fan, like the people who would be like, oh, that guy's the man. You know what I yeah. mean? Like he maybe meant a little more to the franchise of that at well, the, it, the time that this movie was coming out. And it's because they, they lost the symbolic angle um, because Hank Basket was an undrafted rookie or something who was just, just barely made the team and was like scrap like scrapping to, to have a place. And he was being outshined by this other guy who was the more like lauded draft pick. Um, so it mirrored our, our sort of underdog story we were getting with Pat. Um, whereas, whereas Deshaun Jackson's story is not an underdog story. He was like a first round pick or something. So, um, it's just mm -hmm. interesting. It was like, it's because they dropped that element, I think. And they just made it, they just went like, ah, pick someone more recognizable who's flashy uh, that it would make sense. Yeah. For I think it makes it. it work. Yeah. Because of, because of dropping that, I think it definitely makes it work. So not only was Tiffany manipulating Pat, but we also see the father doing it, um, which was sort of tragic, but also endearing in a way because in one sense it felt like i genuinely believed that he wanted to use football as a way to connect with his son and he felt like he had like kind of failed him in some ways and he thought like this could be one way we can actually bond um and we see that he has a really touching moment where he comes to talk to him right and he, he wants him to go to the game but then it immediately we're, it's revealed that he's betting all this money on the game and he believes that he is this like good luck charm and so then it feels like this is all just manipulation and that it's all selfish. So I don't know, like, what was your read on that? Do you think he was genuine or do you think it was more just him being manipulative? I think it's both. You know, I think it's somebody grappling with a with a disease and while at the same time realizing that, like, I mean, the things that were heartfelt in there were the fact that he maybe is realizing that he wasn't there for one of his sons as much as he was there for the other and just kind of realizing that like maybe he exacerbated some of his conditions or or made at least made it worse for him having those conditions and um but uh, real quick one of the uh, I have a little fun fact that I was that I found is that the I saw an interview and the director was talking about how uh Robert De Niro they never had anything about him crying in the script or anything like that and they just basically had him saying like all of that stuff and just being you know having a heartfelt moment but Robert De Niro like took the initiative to to really like you know begin crying and and like oh and that sells that scene man that's the that's the only reason I believe it because those tears felt real felt genuine 
and the director said that he and Bradley, like after that scene, like just looked at each other and were like, we're just they're in the presence of, you know, a god in their <laughs> eyes. Like this guy who's just been in so many cinematic, like, you know, huge moments in cinema. Yeah. We we just we just we just uh, saw him as Vito Corleone in the, our Godfather coverage. Much yeah. younger. Robert yeah. So De welcome back to De Niro for, yeah. this, for this role. Yeah, that moment, and then there's the moment after the um, after the dance, which we're we're about to get into. So let's 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 get to the final bit of plot. Pat, Tiffany, and everyone else arrive at the competition on the night of the football game. Tiffany is horrified to discover that Nikki is in the audience. Upset that Pat may win Nikki back and that she may lose him, Tiffany goes to the bar and has two vodkas. A frantic Pat spots her and manages to coax her onto the dance floor, and they begin their routine. As they dance, the Eagles win their game, and at the conclusion of their set, they score exactly five points. Amid cheers from his family and confused looks from the crowd, Pat approaches Nikki and speaks quietly with her into her ear. Tiffany storms off. Pat leaves Nikki behind after only a short conversation intent on finding Tiffany. He chases after her and tells her he knows that she forged Nikki's letter. He confesses he loved her from the moment he met her but has taken a long time to realize it, and they kiss. They become a, pa- a couple, and Pat Sr. opens a restaurant with the money he has won. Yeah, so uh, make sure you, you make huge bets that are, you know, very easily could ruin you, kids. <laughs> that's another, I mean, he's got uh, that's he's got a couple of personality things, right? Like, so he's got the OCD as well as he's got a gambling problem. He's like, got a he's, gambling problem, clearly. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, so let's back up a little bit. Uh, the 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 setup of the dance as being sort of the fulcrum of the story and being the final big moment is is a clever one i think that really works um because in the book it was like staggered it was like we had the dance but then we also had this big confrontation about the lying um that was also like he got mugged and like weird things with that um so i think it was better to kind of like unify these two moments and 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 then bringing Nikki to the to the actual dance was really I think a stroke of genius, um, and I think it it adds so much tension to the scene. We see Tiffany sort of backsliding. Uh, we are we're 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 like we want to tell Tiffany like it's going to be okay, but then like we don't even really know because we we're not sure if what that's going to do to Pat. Um, so yeah, it just creates this big, like dramatic stew that, uh, is exciting and, and was fun to watch. Yeah, I agree. The, the, this is the shift that I was talking about. We, we like kind of fully shift into her perspective. Like the film becomes hers for this, for this time, from the time that she kind of is on her own and nervous. But then when she sees Nikki and everything that carries on through, it's really just like her, we're like, like you said, she's like backsliding and dealing with a lot of stuff. She's, she's like talking to the guy at the bar which to, to just mention that real quick i hated the like how skeevy the, the like that was super cringy to me the the cop for one when he was like he like was like asking oh yeah her, and then this guy and like it just kept happening and i was just like oh this yeah. is so brutal yeah the yeah the cop was really inappropriate um and because i i did not see that from that character um because when he when he was like oh you were because in the book her husband was a cop um mm-hmm. is that true in the movie I don't I know. Think if it so. was, was it ex- okay? Yeah, because he knows her husband, and so I thought he was just going to be like, "Oh my God, you know, he was such a good guy, whatever." But then he hits on her. Um, anyway, yeah. that was a, that was a different scene. It's very very cringy. Um, yeah, but so the just like that shift into Tiffany's perspective in this in this yeah. last area. I mean, I really think that we got to know her character really well and kind of understand her from her, the scenes that we had with her. But this was yeah. like her moment to basically like just take over the movie and and like well, and we show her insecurities come to the fore here too, right? Like and and right. and her 
her feelings of self-worth and all that. And yeah, backsliding into her old ways of like going to, you know, talk to some fucking guy at the bar. And, and I like to see that too, because it shows that she's, she's a character with her own issues and, and, you know, is, is imperfect and, and, but endearing in a way too, you know? Uh, so, so that was all cool. And then, and then, yeah, the, uh, I wanted to say the dancing, I really liked that they, the bar was like a five because I think they realized that like in the book, I think they, they kill it. They do like a crazy, awesome performance. And I'm not, it's like people could learn that, but it, 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 I feel like dancers, it's like, it's like a lifelong pursuit (laughs) to be really amazing at this. And not to mention you have to be like super talented. Like it's like a mixture of those two things. And like, you know, I can I could believe that they could do it after, you know, five years of training. Yeah. But yeah, the, I think it was cool to have the bar at five. How did you feel? I kind of wanted it to be them to get like a five point two. Like having it be a perfect five is just like, eh, OK, uh, it was fine. I mean, like, yeah, five point one or five point two would have been fine as well. Maybe a little more like but it's because they wanted all the other judges to be like under five and then they wanted that one to come in it was funny and 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 the dance itself i thought was really entertaining but it also did feel more like a five you know obviously we see that they mess up they mess up the big moment right well i love the singing in the rain part right and that was like a callback they had like they were watching the singing in the rain dance scene on her phone and then like they have that in the in their actual dance and then they oh yeah that happened several different times yeah and then they switch it to that that song i can't think of what it is right now but i really like that song yeah it goes it turns into like a rock song and they're dancing around they're jumping around yeah yeah. and it's cool too because they also do it just enough to establish what kind of competition this is and what kind of dancing we're seeing so that we can feel that when they're doing this it is way inappropriate for this for this for this like nobody else is doing this sort of dance um, it was also like kind of over the top sexy, which we know was like uh, Danny's influence on it too, right? Um, right? And so all this stuff was cool. And then it was like you had to have the one judge who who gave him a little bit of credit, maybe um, for 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 some of that stuff. And, and if you notice, like that that was the harshest judge on everyone else. And yeah, then she exactly. gave like the highest of the scores. So it's just one of those you know feel good moments. Yeah, it was it was cool. It worked. And and then um, I like how that became more the focal point than than the Eagles. Like the Eagles one, yeah, it was just kind of a forgettable thing. Not forgettable, but like the moment was not super important as as much as it was the dance, which is what the key. And everybody, everything was rode on that moment. Um, it had to deliver. And there were no stakes like that for the dance in the book. The only stakes there were personal right yeah um there was no bet so that that was a big change yeah um oh and then one of my favorite moments so i loved this moment and it's interesting because it's like i'm trying to figure out why i love it so much but after the dance ends uh, pat's father sees tiffany run out and knows what he understands what happens he understands that pat talk to nikki and that and he saw tiffany runs out and he and he's like oh my gosh you know this is she's she's really upset and and he's to go after her and so he has this heart-to-heart moment with him when he comes over where he has this speech about like there are moments in life where you have to act and like i can't remember exactly what he says but he's like really serious and he's like he's like i'm giving you like i'm being a father right now and i'm telling you son you need to do this and we know well or we later know, and I feel like we kind of suspect that like Pat already knows that he already knows that he needs to do to be this way. And he knows that he has already given up on, on Nikki. But I, I feel like in this moment, his father isn't sure of that. Um, right. So anyway, like I feel like in retrospect, it's like he's telling Pat some stuff that he already knows. 
but mm. just the act of him doing it is like so emotional for me like it was really cool to see that character and and robert de niro be fatherly in that moment um i think he really killed that that performance in that moment and um yeah i just remember that being really powerful when i, I want to mention with that the the shift in in pat with bradley cooper just like there's like that confidence that came in and kind of just that like the realization and like we, we basically you know over that week he had you know written the letter a week before and he realized that tiffany wrote the nikki letter and so you know it like all was like him finally finding himself and and you know his arc was completing but um the way that he goes to get her when she's at the bar and like pulls her on stage and then once he goes out there to to chase after her just like the shift in his character while the shift in while she was like reverting he was like kind of completing his arc as a character and i i just thought that was really cool especially because we kind of like get get away from his perspective and go more toward her, towards her perspective so we don't see the full change um through his perspective we're kind of just like there for it and we see i, I just thought that was a cool way to to kind of play with the two characters and like where they're at Speaking of perspectives, uh, we don't get the conversation between Pat and Nikki. It's just he right. whisper he kind of whispers something in her ear, and we don't get it. Um, what do you think he said? So, so it, not only what do you think he said, but why did we not get it in the movie? Um, and I, I have, I definitely have like my thoughts about it. But to build the drama, think. right? Because it's like if he right away was saying like, "I'm so happy to see you. I love you. All this stuff," then we wouldn't know. Because I mean, it's the it's for that big reveal where he's like, "I wrote the letter two weeks ago. It's been you for a long time." But I was just had to convince myself. So just to keep the mystery alive. Yeah, to keep that like to keep that tension basically there. Well, okay, yeah, I think it does serve that purpose. Um, I I would contend that, uh, that there's another reason, and the other reason to me is that this story is not about them. Um, it's not about their relationship and their and where where that gets left is not integral to this story, um, even though we can kind of read between the lines. Um, this story is about him and Tiffany. And I think to give to give us that conversation might shift focus a little bit in a way that does it that wasn't appropriate. Like, I think he yeah. could have done it and another movie <clears throat> might have done it. Um, but I think it was a smart decision because it, it, it withholding that scene makes sure that we have no illusions about who this movie is about. And it's about Tiffany and, and Pat, right? But then it also does preserve the mystery. So I think it does work on both levels. I like that. If we get that from, it's not even necessarily like relationships in my eyes. If we went over, if we, because the movie started out as Pat's perspective and we're kind of getting that for the most part. If we if we get that scene and we hear from his perspective, like all the things that are being said, you're right. Like it takes away from from the Tiffany and Pat relationship. But it's also like when that shift happened over to it being Tiffany's story in my eyes a little bit for us to switch back to, to Pat and to like have his. You know what I mean? It, it became their story very quickly after after Pat realized. So what do you think he said to her? I mean, I think it probably had something to do with just just he basically just said. Um, you know, like, like you mean so much to me and like, I'll always care for you and all that stuff. But basically like, like I've, I've got to move on and, and like be my, like, like kind of go my own yeah. path. And then yeah. I think she was just like, okay with it and surprised that that's where he, where he ended up. Maybe he was actually saying like mumble, mumble, meet you over at the snack yeah. table later. I heard they had yeah. the donuts. Yeah. <laughs> I think he just went up in her ear and just very slowly was like, fuck you <laughs> nikki <laughs> no i was joking that he like wasn't saying anything because you know movie magic um but right. i mean 
yeah, for the character, I think you're right. I think it is something, and I think we're supposed to read between the, between the lines that is something to that effect. Like, I wish you well, you know, I think whatever. Because it didn't seem like he, like, told her off, right? Like, she wasn't, right. like, mad. She was just kind of sad about it. And I think it was, like... You know, I thought I really cared about you, but, you know, I, it turns out I actually care about somebody else. Something like that. So maybe better than she deserved for how despicable her actions had been in the past. But who knows? Um, once again, we're, we don't really get her perspective either. It's also got like an underlying message of forgiveness, I think, throughout the movie. Right. So it's like that forgiveness that he gives to her. And yeah, I think that that's part of it there. Uh, just real quick, I wanted to say this movie had a sort of troubling anti-medication theme <laughs> like throughout the movie like they all the characters are on medic are, are should be on medication have been prescribed medication but don't take them um now everybody is going to have different reactions to this but um my wife's a pharmacist and 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 we were talking about it as we were we were watching it and like the medications they're talking about are accurate some of the side effects are accurate um and and that and it's fine to resist it or to say like I don't think I should be as medicated as I am, but we also are seeing characters that need to be on medication um, because a lot of them have imbal- like chemical imbalances, um, and it's not because you know like atypical you know neuroatypicality needs to be medicated away. It's more that um, it's affecting their lives in a negative fashion, and medication can help them level out in a way that will help their lives and will make their lives better. And, um, it just felt to me like, uh, I don't know. There's, it's, it's, there's kind of a pop culture mentality of like all medication is bad. And I think that kind of thinking can be detrimental and can be, and can make people resist seeking help when they desperately need it. So, I mean, something interesting, just, I I mean, and and like, I agree with what you're saying, like certain people, uh, you know, just just are able to live more like they're able to have a higher quality of life on medication. So when I was a kid, I was diagnosed with like ADHD and um, I had to take medication for a while. And even as a kid, I realized like I, I, you know, I don't know the technical stuff about like if I was being over medicated or what it was, but I was legitimately diagnosed with it. And so the, the, like I, I was I was prescribed medication and, and over time I just realized that I didn't I didn't like how it made me feel. I didn't like that I was like, I had no appetite. Like there was a lot of factors there. And then as a young kid, as like a really young teenager, I kind of like took it upon myself to like slowly wean myself off of it. And like, I haven't taken medication and like over, you know, it's gotta be like 15 years now. But uh, it was originally because of just like that attention deficit in school. And like the teachers were, I was too rambunctious or, you know, those kinds of things that people diagnose. And and I don't know. So it's, it's really interesting because Maybe I'm just day to day coping with it, but I, I also have something where I I was like I didn't enjoy being on medication, so I kind of have like this. I understand where these characters are coming from a little bit. Absolutely, and I think that 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 shows the other side of it that I do think over medicating is a problem, and I think that doctors can be too quick to to prescriptions or maybe like uh, prescribe and forget. Like I, I've prescribed this for you, so now you're just going to be on it forever. Versus like, hey, let's see if we can maybe. Do you still need it? Let's try going down on it. Because um, I do think uh, I like the idea of like a goal should be to be on as few medications as necessary, right? Like you right. should be trying to reduce to the bare minimum. Um, but it, it's like one of those things where it's like there's two sides to it, and and I don't know. I guess it works for the movie, but I just I just wanted to say that like uh, I do think that 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 feeling like all medication is bad for people who need it. Um, it can also be a problem because um, 
some people, um, it really helps them. And you shouldn't feel, because I feel like people might feel ashamed of that. Mm-hmm. Like people might feel like, oh, you know, the fact that I that I take medication to 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 live my life and be happy, I it, that's not an authentic experience, and I shouldn't do it because you know that's what these movies are telling me. Um, and I think that's I think that's that's um, that's sad, and I think that that is not true, and I think that people um, should embrace the fact that there is something that can help them have a have a higher quality of life. Definitely. So, and, and like. I, just in terms of like like being able to focus and stuff, there's definitely times that I've struggled with that. Not not as much recently, but like in high school and college, like there were times where, yeah. you know, I realized like I'm I'm coping with it on a day to day basis. And and like just to say like obviously these people in this film ha- are dealing with something far different than something like ADHD. Right. So it's also like it's kind of like you have to you have to understand your your disease and and kind of like understand what it what the medication can help with and what it can hinder and so. Ultimately, yeah, I, I don't want to I don't want to like put out a message of, of anti medication either. I just wanted to kind of get yeah. my viewpoint on it. No, no, I mean, I, I, like I said, there's two sides to it, and and we see in this movie people with different sorts of um you know atypical mindsets and and uh, of varying degrees, and we saw, we talked about that in the book, right? How lots of different people had had their own had their own separate issues. So I think you know it's all it's all this movie is clearly talking about mental health and talking about being atypical in your thought process and, and sort of in, in being okay with that, mm-hmm. um, which I fully support um, as long as it's not a huge detriment to your life that could be solved by you not having too much pride to take some medication. <laughs> right. But uh, yeah, I think that's, I think that's a great spot to leave this. I, I really enjoyed this movie and this project. So big shout out to Steven E. Um, thank you so much for, for being a jukebox hero and uh, we're excited to see what you're what you're going to spend your next tokens on if you if you stay at that level. Which, by the way, I wanted to say, um, if anybody wanted to look into that and they wanted to to earn um, some tokens towards a project, but then they thought like, I don't know if I'm going to want to keep up. You can just do that. Like you can just earn enough to get the thing you want, and then go back down to a different level or completely stop being a patron. Up to you. It's a good way to actually have some control and to say like, hey, I want I want you guys to cover this thing. Like that's the way you can do it. Uh, we built it into the to the Patreon. So, um, but we also have other reward tiers where you just get access to our bonus content, which, uh, we have nine episodes of that now and, and all that stuff. And you can check that out on patreon.com forward slash ink to film. All right. So I have one more thing that I was going to, that I want to talk about, but I think we should wait till the very end to talk about it. Basically, okay, I was gonna say, cause I, I trampled all over it. <laughs> no, no, no. Uh, <laughs> okay. basically it's, it's kind of, um, you know, this, this movie is about the Philadelphia Eagles and they recently won a Super Bowl. And I just want to kind of want to tell you about the legacy of this film with okay. kind of that in mind. Uh, so if you want to hear about that, stick, stick around to the end. Yeah. If you'd like to connect with us online, we are on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at ink to film on all three. Our group on Facebook is the council of inklings. We like to put up polls on there to determine future projects, things like that. So absolutely join us on there. That's going to be like the hub of, of activity for this podcast, I think. Also, if you wanted to help out the podcast in another way besides Patreon, you could leave a, a rating or review on iTunes or Spotify, Google play, anywhere you listen to the podcast, because that helps get our get our name out there and get more eyes or ears on the podcast. Huge thank you to Jennifer Delazana, who is doing the transcripts for us now. And if you need transcripts done for your projects, uh, definitely reach out to her. Uh, She's great. Yeah. Thanks again, Jen. We want to thank Ross Bugden for the use of our intro and outro music. All right, man. So hit me up with that, this last Eagles factoid you had. Okay. So this is, this is pretty fun. So Bradley Cooper is actually a Philly fan in real life. He's an Eagles fan. And so, uh, 
before and during the February 4th, 2018 Super Bowl between the Philadelphia Eagles and the New England Patriots, both Bradley Cooper and Jennifer Lawrence received media attention for their continued support of the Eagles and their connection to Eagle fandom via this movie. Cooper attended the game and was often shown on camera with the commentators with the commentators reminding viewers of his Philadelphia upbringing and his role as an Eagle superfan in Silver Linings Playbook. And multiple media outlets reported that Jennifer Lawrence was was on a Delta Airlines flight from New Orleans to Los Angeles on Super Bowl Sunday when she led the passengers in a cheer for the Eagles over the plane's loudspeaker. The Eagles ultimately won their first ever Super Bowl, beating the Patriots 41-33. to Yeah, wow. There you go. So... Maybe they are good luck. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right. That That's cool. Uh, we hope that you come back next week with us for Jesus's son. It's going to be uh, like we haven't done something this this kind of literary book like this. Um, so I'm excited to do it and, and see what our conversation is going to be like for that one. Um, we hope you join us for that. Uh, but until next time. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.